This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com All right, folks, back here with the uh, long-coveted podcast with Nat Hertz. Hers. Hers. Yeah. I always never, I never know how to say that. Hurt, I, like Hertz sounds better than hers. I think for the purposes of a verb, like Hertz does sound better um, for the purposes of, you know, whatever, accuracy, which, you know, people don't really care that did you ever hear, that anyway. Did you ever hear when you were like a kid, do you want a Hertz donut? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Hertz donut. Like n- they, people would call me nuts hurt and like. All kinds of stuff. Can I say, can I use profanity you in this podcast? You can say whatever the fuck you want on the on this podcast. J- okay, good to know. We're, we're not on the radio. We're, we're on the internet. Okay. So the only rules are we can't use other... Actually, I had a, I had a guest a few weeks ago, Katie Capozzi. She wanted to do her own, like, I think it was Drake. She wanted to play her own musical intro, like, over my musical intro. Yeah. On her phone, but Jason Sear, the guy who runs this K&R and does my, my podcasting stuff, said that the algorithm will pick it up and I will get, like... Deplatformed. Can I denigrate your advertisers? Uh, yeah, whatever you want. I mean, wow. Okay, it's, it's getting pretty loose, but I like it. I, I won't do that. So, so you, um, I've known you for many years. Before we first met when I was running for office when you were working with the uh, ADN. I think we met before you were running for office. I had an editor at the time, Richard Maurer, who was like, "You should meet Landfield." Like he he ran for office. This was before your second run for office, and he was like, "You know, Landfield's kind of a and a, a shit disturber." <laughs> kind of um, weird is a word I can use. Um, uh, no, I mean, I think I was like a young guy at that point, just kind of trying to like get a lay of the Alaska political landscape. And I think Rich thought you might be a good guy c- to connect with. When did you start at ADN? Uh, twenty uh, June of t- two thousand thirteen. Okay, so yeah, I, r- I ran in twenty twelve. So you started right after I lost, and you're not from you're from East Coast, East Coast, right? Uh, I was born in San Francisco, lived there until I was six years old, moved to Maine, uh, lived in Maine, went to high school in Vermont, went back to Maine for college, spent a couple years in New York City, then moved to Alaska. What, what's going on in Maine? I've never been there. I've, I want to go there. It sounds like a fun place. It's kind of it's a big state in the East Coast, right? It's like the light version of Alaska. We have like smaller mountains, like smaller things that will try to kill you, but like lots of similar themes like uh rural urban coastal places with things that you can pull out of the water and eat lots they, of tourists they have that kind of that main that kind of almost got boston like accent right yeah you don't you don't have that though no didn't didn't get there till too late so what, what brought you to alaska uh it's kind of a long it's, it's a little bit of a long story so i was a cross-country ski racer in college and i got pretty into that and i had a blog on a skiing website and then the skiing website hired me, um, <clears throat> quote unquote hired. They paid me like $800 a month and gave me a place to live as like my first job after college. And I, so kinda, you, you wrote for the skiing website. Yeah. Faster Um, so like some people in Alaska might be familiar with that. There are probably like three people in the political world, um, who also cross country ski maybe. Um, but yeah. Uh, and so my, I did two years, uh, with them and it was really great. And one of the things I did was like, I traveled to a bunch of races to cover them. And I came up here in the spring of 2010 to cover the U S national championships. And I guess not spring, but January. And that was like Keegan Randall was around <clears throat> Holly Brooks was making her run for her first Olympics. And so I covered that and I had a friend from college, um, Nick Crawford, who was a ski coach from Fairbanks at the time, spent went went up to Fairbanks after I was in Anchorage, spent some time with him. And I was like, this place is pretty sweet. And then I went back to school in New York, spent some time in New York and had like a really good time and learned a lot. But I was like, this is not a place I want to live. I'd like to live in a place that is both um, fun to live in, offers more than New York in the way of like outdoor things, cross country ski opportunities, but also is not a total like career backwater. And yeah, I just did a podcast last week with uh, Meredith Noble. I met her through a friend, and she lives in Valdez now, but she's moved here four years ago, and she's part of this Geeks in the Woods. Have you heard of this? Oh, yeah, I have. I was going to do a story on them. Yeah, so I did a podcast with her, and, and she's, a friend of mine contacted me and said, you need, you need to meet her. She's 
She's awesome. She wrote a book about kind of writing grants. I just but, heard about that. Yeah. Yeah, but she she she's in Valdez, and there's this group of people out there who basically they want to try to bring the Silicon Valley types. And you know, if you're going to be in IT or in that world, you're going to go to San Francisco or Silicon Valley. If you're or you know Seattle, Bellevue, or if you're in banking, right, you're going to go to New York probably. But they want to get all these folks to come to like Alaska, so you can have that outdoor life. You can go ski and, and do all those things. And also, but the the problem is, it's like those centers of that stuff is not here, and they're trying yeah. to change that. Yeah, it's like you sh- that'd be a great like landmine like uh, day in the life story. Like they're they like you know like dug fiber out to their like you know little spot out mm-hmm. in the woods and they like brought in some like weird modular housing and like i think she has a connex or something yeah that's what it sounds like and they've got like these dudes like uh these like tech entrepreneurs who like are now like flannel wearing outdoorsmen um because you gotta think i mean i've read articles about people in san francisco who are making like 200 grand who are essentially on poverty wages because yeah. of the rent and the cost of living, and so they somebody some of these folks make good money, but they they have to commute two or two and a half hours each way to work in order to live in a decent place, and it just seems miserable. Yeah, is now a good time to make a John Henry Hackendorn uh, joke? I think yes, that's, what that, that's he's a good doing now. So that he so so he told me we did a podcast a while back. He told me that he was contacted, he was kind of headhunted from LinkedIn by these uh, Airbnb, I think, folks, and you know he he had kind of moved up here. Similar to, to you, I think he wanted to kind of get away from. He was East Coast, wasn't he? Yeah. And, uh, no, no, well, originally, but I think he was like I don't know. He's he went to school on the West Coast. I think he has a little more West Coast cred than me. He's one of those kind of. He has the whole group of like the Ali Banwell, like the the posh. I think they went to Yale and posh. Do you mean posse? Pot, like they're very like kind of like they oh, came from they like, are posh, like money and and these like big Ivy League schools, and then they. I mean, Alaska's cool. I've been here since twenty two thousand four, and I've been I've lived in Australia. I'm from New Mexico originally. I've spent time in Europe and Moscow, for example, fun city, but very, very, very expensive. So if you're not making a lot of money, you know, you have to, most of those folks commute a couple hours. I, when I was in Moscow, I actually did it on the cheap. I stayed at the Godzilla hostel and it was a very economical visit, but when did you go to, when did you go to Moscow? Uh, for in 2014, I covered the Olympics in Sochi for the Anchorage daily news and fasterskier.com. And I had a long layover in Moscow on my way home. It was like, it was pretty rad. I got a tour of the like huge library from a librarian who spoke english and wanted to like have cultural exchange and yeah, um, moscow is fun fun place you, you were in I'm sochi down. too right yeah that must have been lit um it, like i think it would have been lit for people that were less diligent about work and more into like <laughs> luxury drinking but um it was more like a lot of work and then i got like the flu and then Ooh. uh miserable yeah, I don't know. I'm not like a bit. I mean, it was it was a really cool cultural experience. Like at one point, <clears throat> I got to like go down and like basically the Olympics. Like you're working all the time, 14 hours a day, 16 hours a day. But at one point, we basically were just like it, I, that was my second time doing the Olympics, and, and I'm now an Olympics veteran. And so one of the things we did, but at both the first Olympics and the second Olympics, is like at a certain point, you just gotta say, you know, screw this, we're taking an afternoon off. So I took an afternoon off and went to like. um this little like the city called Adler, which is like down uh, on the Black Sea coast from uh, where we were like up in the mountains. And it was like very tradi- like, you know, there were like I just like went and sat on the beach on the Black Sea and like, you know, was in a T-shirt and it was like uh, there were like open air like fruit markets and mm-hmm. I bought some kebabs and it was like that was a cool experience. Like Sochi. um or at least sort of the mountain village where the where the Olympic events were. It was just this like sort of lame uh, cookie cutter, like luxury, everything everywhere that like you could have found in like Aspen or what. I just didn't feel like anything different. I, I was there in 2013. <laughs> I spent time in Central Asia on a trip, but I went to um, the area on the other side of the mountains from Sochi. So kind of near Krasnodar. And then I went to like this place called Chik- Chikesia, which is kind of like a breakaway. I mean, it's not like... It's not as bad as uh, Chechnya, but it's kind of like not. I had some friends that I was with, luckily, but I, I went and saw like some places where it's like pretty hardcore. Stuff was real. Oh yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely gets real there. So it's an interesting part of the world. I was also in Crimea at one point, post referendum. Yeah, nice. Like, oh, that was weird. Everybody was very confused about my presence there. Nice. Just a tourist, because I flew from Moscow, Moscow to 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 Simferopol, and this is a, it was after the plane got shot down. So I was kind of like I, I asked before I was like. I got the ticket for like 80 bucks one way and cause it's now it's, it was in Russia cause they, they took it over. 
So I was like, are we flying over Ukraine? Because that's where the plane got shot down. So luckily there was a little bit of a diversion. But mm. we landed there and it was so weird because there was the old customs area where people would go th- through customs to enter Ukraine. But there was just all like kind of like taken down. <laughs> so too bad you didn't have the landmine at that point. I, you could have put out some real stuff. Although you also probably would have like gotten detained and searched and all that. Well, I was so. putting out a lot of stuff on Facebook. I was right, I was basically doing the similar thing where I was like saying, here's, who I'm, here's people I'm talking to. Here's what they're saying. Here's what I'm noticing. Um, anyway, so you, you came to Alaska and eventually you started yeah, so, with... Well, so, so basically I kind of had this list. I was like getting ready to leave New York. Um, and actually I applied for a job at a newspaper. I was, had been, I had an internship and then I'd been kind of a freelancer for this tabloid, uh, newspaper on Long Island and tabloid. No shit. Tabloid is a very like specific, it doesn't necessarily mean like salacious sensational things, although certainly it's much more likely to be salacious. I did do a, my one cover story for Newsday, which was the Long Island tabloid I was working at, at was, um, when the daycare left one of their little daughter children at the beach by herself and then the mom they they brought the whole field trip back to the daycare and this is like a big beach this is not like you know taku lake this is like long island like thousands of people they left the kid there they left the kid and the kid was like wandering around and uh i got the i got the iconic photo with my iphone of like the empty playground at the beach where the little girl was playing and they put that on the front page of the tabloid oh my god so i was like they they i had uh, i had applied for a job there but then i was also like where else could i work and not be miserable because i literally would have been consigned to a life in suburban long island which i think kind of would have sucked for me in many ways um and i had sort of made contact and read a lot of like the adn's coverage of skiing um and i kind of had actually sent some stuff to the adn beforehand to be like hey i am available as a employable worker like if you ever have need to hire someone and then they like two weeks later posted like three jobs and um i applied and they offered me the anchorage city hall municipal government beat and i was like heck yeah and put all my stuff in boxes like shipped uh they paid for me to ship two boxes i flew up on JetBlue with my um with my bike with i think one bike and a bunch of skis and uh landed and stayed with my friends rob whitney and uh olympic cross-country ski racer holly brooks is the closest i'll ever get to um you know, Olympic level talent, and they put me up for a couple of weeks, and then wow. So, so you you had been here before, but you really didn't. I mean, know much about it. You'd just been here for work for a little bit. Yeah, just for like a couple of weeks. But. So, so do they do they still have a city hall reporter beat person or not? Um. Well, they don't right now. My understanding is the ADNs just like hired uh, at least one, if not two or three people, and so they're kind of reloading. And I'm I'm almost certain they intend to reinstall a municipal reporter that that person was devin kelly it became devin kelly after i stopped doing that job so i could cover the 2014 yeah, she, yeah that's right she was at the assembly yeah. <clears throat> assembly meetings and all the local so it was funny uh robbie robinson you know from from spotlight yeah. he was up were you here when he was up here a couple, yeah. year or two ago and he spoke and the thing that kind of my takeaway from his his uh and this is folks if you don't know spotlight it's a movie but it's really a part of the boston globe that had been around for i think it's still there for 50 yeah. years and they do deep investigative stuff, and they basically broke the Catholic Church sex abuse scandal um, that we all know about. <clears throat> and he had said that the reason that became something they looked into was because the new publisher, a guy from I think Florida, Marty Baron, yeah, yeah he Ju- was at the um, Miami Herald, Miami Herald, yeah. So just like this Jew- Jewish dude, not from Boston, comes in and reads a story, and the court reporter from the from the court reporter about. Some law, some laws that was filed and obscure, and he was like, "What is this? Let's, let's look into this." But Robbie Robinson said that now the Boston Globe doesn't have a courthouse reporter, so you know maybe today that story would wouldn't happen because there was nobody. And actually, on the local level here, you know my friend Lee Baxter, he writes some yeah. like analysis sometimes for Landmine. He uh, he's a he's a lawyer, so he was telling me one time, "There's so much shit that happens in that courthouse every day that no one, I mean, nobody's looking at it except the lawyers or the people who work there." And and it, I think the ADN used to have a courthouse reporter years ago, right? Yeah, I mean the ADN used to have all kinds of reporters. They had like a you know knitting reporter probably back when the um, classified ads were 
making them tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars and big, saying, big big money back in the day yeah but they uh, yeah i mean like courts courts and cops to a certain extent are i mean cops less extent but definitely courts are like the black hole of alaska media right now like they're i, I actually think like ktva uh seems to be pretty well sourced in the courthouse and seems to have some pretty good sources but yeah like we don't really have a courts reporter at alaska public i don't the adn doesn't have sort of a dedicated like courts reporter they definitely have sort of cops and crime but uh yeah i mean that's it's like they're and they're really great stories there i don't know like someone sent me that uh the order that that judge did in that southwest alaska case where the judge kind of like had his um uh, what is what is that the quote from network where they're like i'm mad as hell and i'm not going to take it anymore Oh, about the public defender yeah, yeah yeah like that it's just like that kind of stuff i think i don't know how often something quite that crazy happens but definitely like there i'm sure there are stories happening like every day or every week that you know just no one's paying attention which is not the fault of um i, I don't know i like happy to like talk about alaska media and and the sort of holes in media coverage but i think that it's very important to like for people to understand like i don't think this is the fault of any individual media organization like no no it's 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 the um i mean i think it's just the blanket loss of revenue correct for you know newspapers used to be and the other thing is not just that like there used to be newspaper there used to be like one newspaper in town maybe two Depending on the size, time. Whoa, you mean yeah? Depending on the size of the town, but there's a newspaper. There's a t- you know TV, couple TV stations, and that's where people got their news. I mean, they, they and they were trusted, but but now no, they didn't have to read the landmine. Now you got people like me who are like, I mean, I'm doing what I'm doing. I think people know who I am and know what I'm what I am and what I'm not. But um, and there's like this like must read Alaska, which is this shit rag where it's like propaganda basically, and you have other other you know Midnight Sun is kind of Matt Buxton. It's he's kind of middle of the road reporter style but but you have all these different things and for for the person who doesn't know what they're reading they don't differ how do you differentiate between what i have and the adn if you don't really know what you're reading yeah but i i kind of disagree with that i think like i i think readers and news consumers are smart and know what they're reading like i think you know any number of my friends read the alaska landmine and i think you know they can sort of I don't know that they know uh, that Jeff Landfield is the guy that, you know, lost his seat on the Judicial Conduct Commission for his, you know, Speedo wearing antics. But I think Speedogate. I think they're like, OK, the Alaska landmine, just judging from the name, is probably not the New York Times. And right. right. But what I'm saying is Alaska is also not sort of the ADN objective. Um, and I know people argue with me calling the ADN objective. But, you know, yeah, I don't know. I think I think actually. You know, I think there's definitely I think you definitely lose something by having sort of trusted, nonpartisan, non non individual driven news sites uh, or or news news outlets like a robust um, Anchorage Daily News, for example. But I also feel like um, I don't know. I think people are smart and know how to sort through what they what's out there. I think there are definitely smart people and a lot of people who are consuming a lot of news. No, tend to know what's going on, but there's also a lot of people, and I know this from knocking on doors for running for Senate twice. There's a lot of people who are, who are you know, they're, they're they're smart in the sense that you know they're, they're smart people. They go to work, they have a family. They don't follow stuff like we do so closely, and some people just don't follow it at all. But they come across an article somewhere on Facebook, or somebody sends it to them, and they read it. And, and you know, reading something I write or something. Matt Buxton writes or something, you know, Jeannie Devon might write in the mudflats or something. They, it, it doesn't look that much different. Now, it, you have an article on a phone and somebody sends it to you, you come across it. And I'm just, I'm, what I'm saying is just, there's, there's, in some ways it's good because there's more people writing about stuff and co- talking about stuff. But in some ways, you, you don't, it's hard to differentiate sometimes what's like fact and what's yeah not, not like... Non, and it, you know, non-biased, and what's 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 just some crazy propaganda, and it and it feeds into sort of polarization where like different people get their facts from different places, and then you have people kind of trying to argue over two separate sets of facts that don't really align with each other. But you know, I I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's sort of there. You know, like you're saying, they're different people at different sort of levels of news consumption and fluency and i do think the people that are sort of the most like policy oriented um are the ones that can kind of differentiate like you know i talk to plenty of republicans who are like you know they read must read alaska but they also know that sometimes suzanne's reporting can be very sort of agenda driven and to sort of 
discount it accordingly. Um, and I think, you know, likewise, um, you know, people might look at your reporting the same way or Matt Buxton's reporting the same way if they're sort of informed. And so it's sort of, yeah, it, I, I think it's, you do have to ask sort of, I, I, I guess the, the, the point, the, the point I was trying to make was anybody, this anybody today with a little bit of money or a little bit of skill can, can make essentially a news site. Yeah. Whereas before there, there were, you know, newspapers that cost a lot of money to pro- proliferate and yeah you know there was a couple tv tv like there was what back in the day there was cronkite you know people watched him and who's, who's peter that? peter <laughs> or peter jennings that was my guy mm. when i was a kid but um i don't know in some ways it's good and some ways it's bad but so after adn you went to uh i guess it's been a couple years now alaska public media uh it's been one year and uh three months or something like that so and you did the story on me right after i got i got punched in the fucking face yeah by that surge yeah, we dude. had a picture of you in the story with a black eye because it, awesome. it was it was just so weird because you had weeks before we're like hey we want to i'm being june i want to do the story and then i think we met on a monday and that saturday I'd, I'd gotten punched in the fucking face at the bar by a very loose unit yeah by the way no that was awesome but that was a cool story for, for the story i like i like that story that actually i don't know how many views it got but a lot of people brought it up to me and yeah no i think at least like four people clicked like, on like it. i had five but 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 you were kind of talking about the new media versus the old, you know that was kind of mm-hmm. the point of the. Uh, but but you're doing energy desk, but I also noticed you do a lot of still political stuff. I don't know what you're talking about. I see you on the Twitter. Uh, like yeah. what's, what's the energy? What does that mean? The energy desk. Um, I should have said that was the off limits area when you asked me what was off limits before you started recording. No, I'm just oh, wow. kidding. I'm just kidding. You, um, you, you missed one. Well, I think I mean it's a legit question because I think people sort of think that the energy desk is sort of meant to kind of limit what we do and what we report on. I mean, I think as a brand, the energy desk is sort of evolving to be more sort of general interest than sort of limited very specifically to like stories about energy you should so, call it the high energy desk that way people that way it could be anything yeah i mean i'll i'll propose that to editors um and maybe pitch, pitch that maybe you, know? you could join um yeah but i think basically i mean broadly it's like i kind of cover environment climate change and politics and basically i think they were like we want you to cover these like environmental issues, but also like you have a lot of expertise uh, and relative expertise. Well, I was going to say, I mean, you, you, you did politics for so long. You have, and I've done this for a couple of years now, you start to develop these sources and you have people that it takes a while to develop. And then you have folks who you trust, they trust you and they give you stuff. And I'm sure you're getting stuff like I get all the time from different people and you don't want to just give that up. I mean, that's pretty valuable. Yeah, I mean, I think mostly it's about, like, institutional knowledge, like, a lot of the things that we cover and that are important to sort of our, like, government and and public affairs are things that are, like, really complicated, and, like, you can have a new reporter, a very smart reporter, like, cover those things and get up to speed and bring really good, like, new insights into it, but also it's, like, a lot of the things are made intentionally complicated by... uh, people or entities with like a vested interest in people not understand what understanding what's going on just like the way for example that like the legislature does its own budget they have all these like secret little accounts that they can mm-hmm. use to spend money it's just like no one and, knows and, about and, that and, stuff. and i don't even understand it fully but last session i learned from somebody that they they roll the money over every year mm-hmm. and it's in this kind of slush fund and mm-hmm. they have this kind of unwritten policy they don't fuck with the governor's money, and he Correct. doesn't fuck with their money. Except for, I'd, I feel like, didn't that happen this year? Well, point? no. It's oh, the governor messed with the judiciary's budget. That right. was the but red line. There's been, there was some kind of talk. I mean, this was like a discussion of what's going to happen, because they, they they have this this money they appropriate for themselves, and yeah. then it gets some, I don't know how much, but it gets rolled over, and then they kind of, nobody really knows what's going on. Or Well, there what, are people that know what's going on. Well, like just, people like us, I mean, people in the public don't know. Correct. And and you try to get staffers to talk about it, and they get really weird. Like they don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And even for somebody like me to start to go dig in these, it's really hard to understand. Yeah. Um, but so I was going to ask you about the public media. So that's you do you do written stuff, but you also do kind of radio. Um, kind of radio. Well, you you do v- v- voice stories as well. So is that was that something you did before, or was that a no? Never. Was that a transition oh, uh- from? I did. I took a radio class in college, my mo- or in in grad school. My mom uh, was a public radio uh, reporter in Maine. She covered like the Capitol, 
Uh, and hey, your mom was a journalist, stuff. right? Yeah, she was a reporter um, for quite a long time, and she still kind of works in media. She like is sort of a she's an editor at a sort of an interesting sort of like nonpartisan site that works with like uh, academic people to publish free analysis pieces that like the landmine could publish. Uh, it's called the Conversation. You could publish their pieces, or we can publish their pieces. In any case. Um, yeah, so I hadn't really done that professionally before. And so basically, I mean, yeah, like we do radio pieces for Alaska news nightly, 6 PM to 6 30 every night, um, on 91.1. Um, and, uh, Shout out. yeah, we're doing the pledge drive right now. So become a member. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, and, and then sometimes if your stories have sort of a broad enough audience, you can get them on, uh, national public radio or national public radio programs. And then, you know, we also have a website. And so at all, every story that we do, we, we convert, um, into a, a story for the internet. And that can be a laborious process if you're trying to sort of really make it into a more of a written, um, piece, but yeah, so it, it's both. Yeah. I mean, I, I do some video stuff and it's just very interesting how different, you know, like a podcast versus a video versus a written it's funny when you write something, I always kind of think it's there forever to Google. Yeah. But if you do a video story, unless you transcribe it or something, it's kind of different. Yeah. Um, I, I came across that We Alaskans. Did you happen to see that? Yeah. That 1990 oh, yeah. yeah, lobbyist. Yeah, the lobbyists. Yeah. And, and it was just kind of, did you read it? I, well, I looked at it. Yeah. It's still, I still think someone should like actually go in depth on the lobbyists because that still was mostly just like, here's how much money the lobbyists made. Right. But it was just, to me, it kind of struck me as how, how, like, how it was written. And maybe back then you could just write something and it was in a newspaper and then I mean, you can throw it away, and thirty years later, somebody sends it to me. But it's it's not easily findable. Now you write something, and it's on the internet, and it's it's you can find it forever. It's like those speedo pictures are never going away. That's fine, but they they since then there's been more pics of me, so they they they're still there, but the ranking has gone. So they, they aren't the before it was like you Google Jeff Landfield, and the first like twenty pictures are me and speedos. I have that with uh, slapped by state senator. Right. So that was that was when was that fifteen. Uh, 16, I think, because it was, or no, 17, because it was after Senator David Wilson oh, had been elected. because I was in, yeah, I was in, Ju- I was in Australia, and I was still, obviously, on Facebook and following it, and it was just fucking nuts. So it was the hallway, right? It was, it was the slap, was it the slap heard around the world? Is that yes, what you're Yes, that's what they were saying. And so, so we've both been attacked by people, well, you were a legislator, but I was a staffer, so. Yeah, but you got punched. I got, I got a black eye. Yeah. That was, that was weird. That was, uh, people still bring that up. I mean, that's legit. You got punched in the face. No, but the slap was, that was just a weird. Oh, the slap. just a weird thing. I mean, I would, it was very, it was, I mean, yeah, never I, happened to me before. It's never happened again. I think I did the, uh, I did the meme from uh, the Rick James, you know, and he, what the five fingers say to the face? Slap. You know, the J- Dave Chappelle skit. Yeah. I have a hard time. I mean, it's like, it's on the one hand, it is like funny, I I guess, but it's also like not. It's very, it's very weird. It's very, well, it's very fucked up for. For one, but it's just it's just like who does that? Senator David Wilson, I guess. It was so bizarre. Yeah, I was like I was thinking I leave for Australia and the good stuff happens. I will say, I mean, he's been like I've worked with him in other stuff since. How have you guys been since? Yeah. Well, I mean, so uh, like after like a couple days after it happened, so like you know, I didn't really know what to do, right? And so you know, we I had like conversations with my boss, and I went and filed a police report and talked to the police officer. And then like a couple days later, um, he invited me to come to his office and I was like, I think this should be okay. Um, but came to his office and just you and him. Yeah. And we, we, he just, I think it was sort of like he wanted to apologize, but I think he kind of realized like, okay, this was actually maybe a bigger deal. And I don't know if I can apologize or like admit that this was a wrong thing. So he, I think he was just sort of trying to like mend fences a little bit. And I was like, you know, I'm going to be professional coming here and listen to you. Um, and that was it. And like, I don't know, like we've just like, I mean, he's been, he's been professional in the way that he's dealt with me since then. And, um, he hasn't slapped me again. So I'm just kind of like, I'm going to move on from this. I've actually and, never talked to the guy really. Uh, he, I, I wrote about, I wrote about the other thing that happened with the staffer and that kind of blew up and the, he's, uh, he's very personable. I mean, I like, I like him. I mean, there's a reason he got elected. Um, I, you know, I think. I think I think he told old people that Lynn Gaddis wanted to like send them send them out of the state on an ice flow on an ice flow yeah so that that was a good that was a good line remember that story yeah that was great I mean it you know it was that that that, 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 that was a landmine story 
Well, I was landline wasn't around then, but 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 that to, to me that's kind of the uh, almost before that was before fake news was a thing because what she said and again probably shouldn't have said it, but what she was saying is if if you're old and you don't have anybody here and it's expensive and you have family or, or people in the lower forty eight, it might be worth looking at that. I think it's the kind of thing where it's like if you are a sort of cagey politician, you know to not broach the subject of moving the altar what 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 uh like horrible things might befall the elders from the the impacts of the policies that are under consideration i mean that was one of the things that everybody loved about lynn gaddis was like she did not muzzle herself and she told you like it like it was and um you know it definitely i think left some room for sort of interpretation and in ways that really came back to to biter right well i think i think so as i recall correctly there was the original article and then somebody uh maybe it was uh what's his name alex alex gamark or what's his name mark jamark yeah Someone did a sat- I think it was him did a satire right, piece right. about Lynn Gaddis wants to you know put put the old folks on ice literally flows. like on an ice floe yeah and, and and then I think some some media quoted that yeah somebody quoted that in the story <laughs> in their story and that's when it kind of blew up to the point where it was like oh shit and and then she had a really hard time I got like tasked with it it was like this needs follow up because it was like it became such a thing I just remember it, that was shocking when Lynn Gaddis lost that primary it was like oh yeah well. I think part of it, and she'll, she'll she'll admit this. I asked her. One is, I mean, she probably didn't really think it was. Um, he was he was a formidable. I mean, didn't he was on the Wasilla Council? And he and he signed uh, his name as a smiley face. Do you remember? Like, yeah, he the, emo- the emoji. Yeah. And, and I just think she didn't take him seriously. But also, she was in Juno for that tw- that whole right. yeah, long th- session thing through July. I was also there. It sucked. So. Those are kind of the perfect storm, but, but yeah. I, I know he was like going to the old folks' homes and being like, "She wants to like send you away." <laughs> like, you need to vote for David Wilson. <laughs> I wonder what's uh, so interesting. Kind of going in the, the legislature, the, he's up, and then and then like Kathy Geisel's up, um, Gary Stevens is up. He's probably fine, but then you have Natasha Van Imhoff is up, uh, John Coghill is up. I mean, you have five of those six kind of ones who voted against re, uh, Shaw. Just as an aside, that means that if Natasha von Imhoff is reelected, she'll get a free shot at Dunleavy in the Republican primary in 2022. But um, Well, it depends. She might have a two-year... I don't know if she's going to have a two-year oh, seat for redistricting. redistricted. Yeah, and, I don't and, know how that works. And that's something that no one's like really talking about yet, and they're going to appoint that board pretty soon. Mm, yeah. And that that could have... Tuckerman Babcock, chief of the redistricting board? The, you've heard, I'm sure you've heard the rumors that he's... People have said he's gonna. He wants to be on that. No, I haven't heard, but that, that would. I mean, he's worked on that stuff before, right? So. Back in the nineties, he tried to he tried to redistrict himself out of the district where these two guys had beat him hmm. prior. prior. Well, that's a smart move, I guess. Well, the courts didn't courts didn't like it. Uh, but yeah, the governor gets two, Senate president gets one, the speaker gets one, and then I think a, the the Supreme Court justice gets one. Yeah. So and that's gonna you know have last time they did that. I used to be in Kevin Meyer's district. And then I got redistricted in the Liesel's district in 2012. Mm. So it can have a big, big impact. We'll put the Speedo guy in Liesel's district. I, I kept my same house. No, that was way before Speedo Gate. I feel like you know you're someone when, like, yeah. you know you become someone when, 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 the, when you get redistricted. <laughs> Do you, well, remember, remember the Kawasaki finger? Yeah, vaguely. So, so this is fucking hilarious. So they tried to redistrict Kawasaki out of um, his his district, so because he was been winning for a long time, but but they they chose they they accidentally picked his sister's house in Fairbanks, who was a legislative staffer, Sonia. So they they used her house instead. They didn't even get the house right. They were just like Kawasaki. Let's yes. move them. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. But it, it, the, the the map. I mean, if you can imagine, it's like you know how sometimes the gerrymandered things look weird. It was just a yeah. weird like up. It was like an up and down. Quick. It looked like a finger. Mm. And they called it the Kawasaki finger. I think the redistricting board shot that one down, yeah, or the maybe, courts shot that one down. Maybe we'll get the landmine finger soon enough. I'm just, I'm just, see, I'm in a really, I'm in Taku Lake area, so I'm kind of you're in, you're not, in the killer otter area. There's, there's not a lot of boundaries like where you can mess with me. Yeah. Luckily, I'm maybe I'm. We'll see. I don't know. Yeah. Um. So, what's your plan for? I mean, are you going to Juno? You you went a little no. bit last year. Do you have any plans to? No. I'm done. It's a, it's a hard no. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I feel like I I did like four years covering the session, and it was 
really illuminating and I learned a ton and people were enormously generous and patient with me. And it was like, I got to know that part of the state. I got to travel all around Southeast Alaska. I did awesome like skiing and ski races in Skagway in the mountains every year. And then also I was like working all the time and didn't see my friends and uh, exacerbated like a pre-existing heart condition and um, you know they're like it's just not like a life it's a hard lifestyle and mm-hmm. I have enormous respect for the people who do it and it's not Did, the lifestyle I want didn't you recently um, were you trapped or maybe you couldn't get your gear somewhere with the oh, ferry yeah, strike yeah with the ferry strike so my sister and I were paddling the lower Stikine River uh, which is it runs from British Columbia kind of interior British Columbia out to Wrangell Alaska And we were um, supposed to be taking the ferry from Ketchikan with a bunch of our gear to Prince Rupert, where we were going to meet some of our Canadian friends. And they had a strike and the ferry was canceled. And we were like, um, we we used the we we used the profanity. And then we had to strategize about how uh, we were going to get to Prince Rupert. And it it turned out that there was a flight service, thank goodness, that was, you know, instead of our $60 ferry ticket, it was 250 bucks a piece. And we had to pay like overage for our luggage. But we uh, we got down there. And I'm sure, you know. I read horrific stories about people like there was like I read something about like someone who was like coming up to Alaska for their vacation with their newborn child Mm -hmm. on the ferry and the child died. And so they were like trying to get their the remains of their kid. Like there were horrific things. that There there was one I overheard the guy from the Empire. I was in the Capitol. I was in the public lounge and he was talking to some woman. And, and he had it on. He's like, do you mind if I do the Skype thing? I "I don't care. And, And she was a teacher and they were moving up to Alaska. And she had gotten hired to teach somewhere, and they were stuck. I forget where they were, but they were stuck somewhere, like on some fucking like island or something. And she's like, "This is just like really making us reconsider our our, our choice." The the fairies are, uh, yeah. That's that's. I, I don't think most folks in in Anchorage or Fairbanks or any, anywhere who doesn't really have never has never used. And I've used the ferry a lot. I used to have a friend. I have a friend who's has a car shop in Juneau, so I've driven cars. Not for years, but I used to drive cars to Juneau a lot for him. You go, to, you know, through Canada, go to Haynes, mm-hmm. get on the ferry, and then I've, you know, obviously been in Juneau for last session. And I don't think folks realize just how important those ferries are. Like people who live here in Anchorage have never used it. Probably not. I mean, it's just like you know, it's basically like another state that if you don't live there, you wouldn't know what their issues are. And some of those places, I mean, like. Um, What's that? Na- the native village, uh, Angoon. Angoon, yeah. I mean, that's there's, that's it. That's the only way to get, or plane. Well, yeah, but also like they don't have an airport, and so you can only get a seaplane there. And so I don't even really know, like, if it gets to be like, I mean, I guess it's the ocean, so you can probably fly it around. But yeah, I think they're getting an airport. But yeah, I mean, it's it's you know, I I think it's interesting. I think those ferry stories are interesting. Like I've written a whole bunch of them. Like I went to Angoon earlier this yeah, year. Yeah, I remember when, when you went there. Yeah. And then I went. To, I just went to Cordova, and I've you know taken it all around like Juneau, Haines, Skagway, any number of times, Petersburg. I've done the Unalaska route too. And that was really cool. And like, I, it's hard because I think, you know, there's this sense in these communities that these communities will get wiped off the map if the ferry goes away. And then, and it's like the ferry has been going away and these communities are still there. And it's so you kind of, I think the people who are opposed to spending money on the ferries, like there's this total sense of like crying wolf. Um, and yet, and yet you go and talk to people and it's like, okay, maybe it's not like cutting off their head, but it's like cutting off their arm. And you hear all these ways in which it really is like changing their lives in ways that make it suck a lot more. Like, you know, you can't move your car, kids can't go to um, athletic events. And it's like, I think it's reasonable to debate how much, service these communities get um but it, it definitely i mean it it change it's changing people's lives for were you sure. at that meeting in cordova where like 15 percent of the people or 10 percent of the people showed up 250 people i wasn't there i, I saw some pictures of it and heard about I think it it was a legislative hearing right and, yeah they were trying um, to basically like convince the governor to not veto the yeah, that the was, governor vetoed so something else i wanted to ask you we kind of touched on earlier about you know knowledge about about and media kind of my impression is a lot of people who come up here, especially maybe the junior reporters for either TV or news, they like you. You got came up here, you know, and started doing doing the reporting. Uh, it feels like with politics specifically, especially the legislature, it's it's so I don't want to say complex, but there's so many personalities and relationships, and there's so many 
things you have to know just kind of by being around to really know, oh, this this has to do with this story because this person has this thing in 10 years ago. And what do you think about the reporters who cover the legislature? Uh, like, for example, Sean McGuire. He's new. He learned a lot. He was there. I was hanging out with him a lot. But he just, he just, I kind of feel bad for him because he just had no context. And a lot of these reporters, I just feel bad because they don't, like the Empire hired a guy, uh, Peter, from, I think it was from yeah. Lower 48 somewhere. And it just, it's, yeah, just like no... It's almost unfair to them. Well, this like I could talk about this for a really long time. Um, I think there is value in bringing in new new perspectives to do that coverage. Like when I covered the legislature, my first session, I wrote this story that like I will never forget. The story is like probably the favorite story that I've ever done, which was like I went uh, I went to the Capitol and there was this like weird little door that led to a cafeteria. And then it turned out that the cafeteria, like, you can't go in there because it's only for legislators. But mm-hmm. but staffers can, like, order order from it. But then also, like, reporters can and anyone can. And it was like, what is this place? And, you know, they served, like, really good food. Like, oh, you know, I, I, get, sam- I, I get a sandwich there all the time. Yeah. So but they, they, and then, like, you know, they were like, getting salmon donated by, like, the Cordova Chamber of Commerce. So there was like you could get like a king salmon salad for like 10 bucks. And I was like, this is interesting and then you know the legislature it was a year where you had all these republicans saying like we need to like make really steep cuts and then we started asking well okay but are you going to cut your own budget and then it was like yeah well what about this cafeteria and it turned out that the legislature like subsidizes this cafeteria and like subsidizes it so like you know they're subsidizing their own meals while complaining about you know subsidies for all these other programs, which, you know, I don't know. I mean, like government exists for a reason and there are good arguments for why you should have the legislative lounge. Like, you know, people don't have time and it, it builds sort of uh, esprit de corps. Like it's a place where you can escape lobbyists, all that. But um, in any case, like that was a, that ended up being like a really great story, I thought. Um, but, uh, you know, that was is a thing that's existed oh, that, for decades that, that, and it required a new person to come in and like be like what is this and why is it here and and you see that happen all the time i i do agree that like that's half of what is important but then the other half is like you need people that understand the intricacies of these like legislative budget uh legislative budgets like the 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 different legislative rules and procedures and um that is a huge problem and and who the lobbyists are like you know my i feel like i I, my first year in juno i learned who all the legislators were second year i learned who all the aides were third year i learned who all the lobbyists Mm -hmm. were and it's like it kind of it's kind of like it should be in reverse right like you need to know who the lobbyists are yeah i know so so i've I've gotten shit from some lobbyists where i've i've written about them and said something and some of them have said we're not you know we're not we're not we're not fair game we're not a public figure and I, i told them i said some of the ones i'm friends with i even say look like you people have more effect on the pub- on the outcome of legislation and on what happens in the public than any legislator because yeah because maybe I'm not anyone but most ninety percent of them yeah and you know they're some of them are getting paid a million dollars a year plus from a variety of clients and they're just I don't know if it's a new thing because I wasn't around back then but it, it seems like back in the we Alaskans thing that I found from 1990 yeah I mean they're talking about all the cocaine violations with Sam Keto and John Sackett and distributing cocaine and yeah they're talking about all the, all these I mean no one seemed to really care back then they were being written about I mean if you wrote that today yeah they'd fucking most of them would lose their mind well so I'd want to come back to this point though because I, I think so you know in when I started in Juno, it was like, you know, Alexandra Gutierrez covered Juno for the radio. Um, you had uh, Austin Beard covering. Uh, Alexandra, she, she put KTU. out the famous tweet. Uh, who's bringing popcorn to Jeff Landfield's confirmation hearing? Oh, nice. That, that's where yeah. it popped off with Speedogate. She also tweeted the state of the state in emoji form, which was really awesome. I think there was a poop emoji that was legendary. But nice. like that whole that whole sort of group of reporters has turned over. And I think they're like there are reporters covering the legislature now that do have like pretty deep institutional knowledge, like Andrew who covers it for the network, Steve Quinn, um, Steve Quinn, uh, James Brooks for, Check for the ADN. But like really, I, I want at least one person or two people covering the legislature who have like 10, five, at least five, if not 10 years I, I, of experience. I gotta, before I forget, I gotta go back to your, your uh, cafeteria story. Yeah. That, that, th- that fucker still lives because when I was doing some, uh, with Scott Jensen, we were kind of doing a tour of the Capitol. Yeah. I asked him, Hey, can we, can we kind of, film the 
cafeteria area how people you know oh we don't want to be in the media we've had enough fucking media yeah they like, gave me a tour and then I, and then i think they realized that it came back to bite yeah them. yeah so that's, but, that still lives i mean i was not able to get any shots because of your they, they did increase the prices a little bit that was like a little thing that we did uh, a story about but but no so i think it's like you want a balance of like people with deep institutional knowledge who like know who the lobbyists are but then you want like you know 23 year old reporters who like see the older reporters who like maybe have like two cozy relationships and are like eating lunch with the lobbyists and not writing the stuff about the lobbyists that they should be writing about. So I I think there's a balance there. And I I do think that like the, the nature of media right now is like, there's not really enough money to retain reporters for lo- for that long. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, the, the, the salaries are so low. I mean, you look at like Austin Baird used to be a reporter. Grace Jang used to be a reporter. Megan Baldino used to be a reporter. Well, and, and it's the sal- it's the salaries are low, and also you have to like unless you live in Juno, you have to like move to Juno every year, and that's that's like a a hardship too. Or, and, or stay in the fucking and, driftwood and, and room. The, room, and room the lifestyle, the lifestyle is like you're working for four or five, especially these past four or five years when they've been doing all these special sessions. You're working four, five, six months a year, twelve hours a day, and it's like no sane person wants to be subjected to that. And so, I mean, I think it's many of the same problems that you get um, out of like the legislature itself, where it's like, people are like, I could be, if if you're a smart professional, like, and you could be making 90 or a hundred thousand dollars a year living in one place and comfortably like with your family, why would you move to Juno and like be subjected to like scrutiny by people like you and me and like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, having to move back and forth. And so it's like, you know, personally, I think legislators, I don't know if I think I can say this. Like, I think legislators should get paid a hundred thousand dollars a year. I think it should be, I think it should be one fifty. So that then there's no excuses for sort of, you know, conflicts and stuff like that. And I, and yep. I, I kind of think the same thing for reporters because it's like, you want the people who are covering these institutions to have the same level of sort of expertise and institutional knowledge as the folks that are there for decades and know how to manipulate those systems. So I, you know, I, and I think that's, again, this is not a problem of like ADN or Alaska public media or any particular media organization sort of shortchanging its reporters. It's like a problem of society, like well, not well, well, valuing I, I, this. I did a podcast with Ryan Binkley a while back and he told me, and you know, this is like on the podcast, so it's public, but they were basically, when they came in at the end, towards the end, ADN was, was days away from shutting the doors. Yeah. They were going mean, to, they were going to stop printing the newspaper and you know, the Binkley's to their credit, like they did a really hard thing, which was like, they fired a bunch of people because we couldn't, afford to like lose a huge amount of money and they're running the ADN like a business which is like they are business people and that's what business people do and and I, they're running it as like a viable and look, and look at, I mean entity. KTVA you know GCI sunk sunk money in there for a long time that Liberty took over and they came in and, and they I think they said what's going on here and now they've laid off I don't know how many people in the last six months you know, some of the main anchors, some of the, the the newsroom people, some of the reporters. So, yeah, I mean, I think like if I think Alaska, like and society at large, it's like we get the journalism that people are willing to pay for. And people are I think for, you know, it's like for a long time we got more journalism than people were willing to pay for because it was sort of artificially propped up by these sort of uh, parallel um, revenue generating schemes that newspapers did really well, but like now those are gone. Well, and, and, and I've had, um, you know, I, we sell, I sell ads. Um, I have people donate money, you know, small amounts here and there. Some people have been kind of gen- more generous, but it, even then it's still, I'm not, I'm not, I've not found the magic <laughs> recipe to make this thing work to where I was making the kind of money I used to make, but, but I'm kind of struggling, you know, chugging along you're here. At the, and, you're at the low six figures now. I, not even close, buddy. I wish, but, <laughs> Because it's not just me. I mean, I give Paxson money. I give Allison does her her job, and Kay, I mean, not just one person. But I've had people legitimately come to me with with, with offers to, to to make substantial kind of monetary investments or provide money. But they want to have they want to control what com- like comes out, or they want to have an in, a say in what I write, or and and they want or they want to say this, you need to write this stuff. Or this, and I, I just said no, I don't want to do that. I don't, it's just not going to be something I want to get into. But I think a lot of the, you know information that comes out you have to be very and we don't we don't know because there's no, no disclosure requirements but like who who's behind it like what's is what's like you know we all know jim lots felt funds the midnight sun but 
I don't believe there's anything nefarious going on there because we know. But he's the one kind of funding that. Yeah. Well, I mean, we do know, you know, we do know when when uh, political and entities or individuals like advertising the landmine or Must Read Alaska or or the Midnight Sun, they do have to disclose that. In you you, you see that. So. I mean, obviously, if it's an ad, you see an ad and yeah. people can visibly. But there's it's it's the money that's not the ads. It's it's the hundred thousand dollars a month that Mike Dunleavy's brother is paying you. <laughs> I, Francis, I'll give you my address, baby. If you want to send me a check, no no problem. Um, anyway, it's been a fascinating podcast. We've uh, covered a lot. We should do another one of these because there's so much more to talk about. Part part two in, part, in uh, six after I've been here six more years. Wow, that's not gonna. I think we need to do a little. I think like like six weeks maybe. I'm down. Um, well, I appreciate you coming in that and keep, keep up the, I like reading your stuff. I like your Twitter. You have a good Twitter. Thanks. I try. I will say, I mean, I, I want people to know that I am like a religious landmine reader. And I think that like you guys are doing, um, I appreciate that, you know, yeah, really good. Like you're filling a, a niche and, um, I don't know. I think it's really cool and I read it and you know, I mean, I'm like a religious reader of, uh, the landmine must read Alaska. I know some people will be really upset about that, including you and uh, and the Midnight Sun. It's like they're all on RSS, and um, it's like all the information is uh, indispensable to me. I mean, I like read. I mean, as, as much as I can't stand her, and I, I I do I do just I just I just can't stand the bitch. But but I mean, I, w- I will say that she 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 does uh she does have you know people at sources and she does put stuff out there i mean she works i I don't like i don't have firsthand knowledge of this but like she is churning out like six stories a day and my sense is she's probably doing pretty well financially but it's like she's hustling really hard um and and churning out like like you said like a lot of uh information and you know people i think it's appropriate for people to. yeah i I just i just feel like that for me that just you get to a burnout phase where you just like you can't do it anymore. Yeah, I, I try to do at least something one, one a day, and yeah. we do some of the larger investigative pieces. That and that's part of the problem the newspapers have. I mean, they have to put out a paper every day. Yeah, which creates other problems with you know how much time you can spend. Yeah, on any given story. But I want to thank you for coming in, Mister Mister Nat Hers. Yeah, it's it's been real. Thanks, Jeff. It's uh, it's always fun to hang out and be on Landmine Radio. Landmine Podcast Radio, right? Land. Yeah. High energy, no filter. And we're here in the KONR studio, so it's a great location. Good deal. Thanks okay. for coming in, buddy. Appreciate yeah. it. Thanks, Jeff. All right, folks. Nat Hertz from Alaska Public Media. And if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.